Kia ora, I'm Tim McCready and this is Too Much Talk, a podcast from Onihanga FM. Way back in 1893, Elizabeth Yates became mayor of Onihanga and the first female mayor in the British Empire. She famously said, There is in both borough councils and in Parliament too a great deal too much talk. Well, this is it, the final episode of Too Much Talk before the election. I'm your host, Tim McCready, and if you've listened to the previous episodes, you'll have heard us talk to the candidates in the Maunga Keke electorate. If you haven't, this one will be a great episode to give you an idea of the issues discussed throughout this podcast series. My guest today is Jonathan Milne. He's an Onihanga local. He's also the managing editor for Newsroom Pro. He writes about politics and business. You might have caught the excellent piece that he wrote recently on Maunga Keke and its candidates. Towards the end of this episode, his daughter Cleo comes on to answer a few questions. And I'll tell you what, maybe we should all be speaking with more 13-year-olds about politics because she has switched on and has some thought-provoking comments to make about the candidates. I also put a question to the Prime Minister during this episode, which I recorded when he was visiting Onihanga over the weekend. There is a lot to cover, so let's get straight into it. Well, kia ora, Jonathan. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Kia ora, Tim. Thanks for having me on. So, um, it's great to be chatting to you in this kind of in this final episode in the lead up to the election because you've you've published this excellent piece on Newsroom about the Mongolia electorate, uh, where you spoke with the candidates that are running and looked at the big issues of the campaign. So I'm sure you've got uh, lots to tell us. You're also an Onihanga local. Um, so I thought I might begin by asking you something uh, about what both Denise Lee and Josephine Bartley said in the first episode of the season. They said that things often happen to Onihanga rather than for Onihanga. And I know in your newsroom piece, you canvassed candidates for their views on transport infrastructure, um, which could impact Onihanga in several ways, right? You've got the light rail route, you've got the South Down to Avondale heavy rail line that could cut through some of uh, the, the properties in Onihanga. And then there's Nationals East-West Link Highway. I think those are some good examples of things that can happen to Onihanga rather than necessarily for it. What's your take on those transport issues as an example. Yeah, oh, look, it's absolutely true. I mean, you look at State Highway 20, um, that's cut right across Anaka Bay, um, you know, and cut off a beautiful um, seaside village from from the sea. Um, you look at the pylons, um, and, uh, and and of course, these are gross intrusions on uh, on, uh, on everything that, sh- uh, that should be community. Um, but you know what? Um, we're, we're a pretty small, we're a pretty strong little community. And I do think we have... Um, every opportunity to take control of our destiny. Um, and I think an example of that just this year is um, light rail. Um, Auckland Light Rail abandoned plans to um, to piggyback on the Kiwi Rail route, um, you know, cutting a big trench through the middle of residential in Aunga. Um, mm. They abandoned those plans and um, decided they'd run down the highway. And they did that because they heard from 2,000 um, Aunga residents who um, who argued their case, who argued their case on uh, with passion and um, evidence and... Um, and Open Light Rail said, "Oh, yep, fair enough. Um, um, we'll, we'll, we'll back back off." And you know, I, I can see plenty of potential for that in the future. Um, I, th- I, I think your, your colleague Rachel Sturgis had um, Echo and Paul Janman on um, on, on her podcast, um, the NB podcast. Um, yep. uh, they live up the street from me, and they've been working for thirteen years on Onahunga People's Garden, um, and the uh, that that's on Kiwi Rail lease land. So theoretically, if the Kiwi Rail, heavy rail route goes ahead. That's mm. gone. But they're arguing their case so compellingly. They've researched, they've, le- they've, they've learned and, and shared with Kiwi Rail and the council about the importance of areas like this, waterways like this, um, um, to creating sponge cities, to, um, uh, cre- uh, um, to helping our community um, and our ecology survive and, um, and thrive as, um, as the climate does change. Um, and I think with arguments like that and with, you know, passion like that, they, they could well win their argument. Um, so I, I really believe in Anahanga's ability to seize back the initiative, to be, to seize back autonomy. Yeah, it's interesting that. It's a, yeah, it's a good point. Um, I guess, yeah, if that if that heavy rail is to go ahead, there's going to be a lot more, uh, probably a, a lot more people in the community becoming more and more vocal, right? Because it's, um, you know, it'd be a significant change. Yeah, it is, absolutely. And, um, we're, you know, here in Anahanga, we're... we're we're stuck in a triangle, really, between three different those three different routes you, you name: the heavy rail, the light rail, and the east-west link. 
mm. right now um, and um, until next uh, uh, until Saturday at least. We don't know which one of us is going to go ahead. You know, if Labor yeah, yeah, because some in, will, some won't, right? Or maybe, yeah, exactly. maybe some might. <laughs> yeah, Labor gets back in. We we have light rail. Um, National gets in. We probably get the east-west link. Heavy yep. rail. Who knows? Um, yep. So so it is it is really uncertain for us. Um, I did um, I did talk to Debbie Burrows, who's one of our local board members, about this recently, mm-hmm. um, and she said, "Well, you know, we part of the reason that we all moved." to own a hangar or live in own a hangar or stay in own a hangar. It's because we like being in the middle of it. We like being at the centre of it. We like being able to, you know, the, these these transport, public transport routes are good for us. Um, they do help help us get around. They help other people come to Auckland, um, to our to our communities, to visit us and our businesses. Um, so there's swings and round, uh, roundabouts. But um, I, I think, as we said, we need to make sure that, we've, uh, that, that, that we're putting forward our views sufficiently strongly that we can influence um, which of these go ahead. Yeah, and I guess, you know, we like to be part of it, but not necessarily if there's a heavy rail line right at the back of our property, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think it, it's great to be talking to you because you've spoken, like me, to all of the, the candidates. Um, I wanted to ask you, first off, the the two front runners, um, Greg and Priyanka, in talking to them, how confident do you think each of them are in terms of either retaining or winning the seat of Mongakeke? Well, I want to say to you first off, Tim, um, thank you, because um, I just thought what those interviews that you've done with all the candidates, they're really valuable. Um, and in an era when it's easy for us all to get stuck in our own social media echo chambers um, and hearing only the views of those with whom we agree, mm. um, I, I think it's really valuable to have such in-depth interviews with all the leading candidates. Um, and you know, um, what I discovered and what you probably discovered in sitting, uh, sitting down and talking with these people was you talk to someone for long enough and you get to see where they come from. You get to know them. Um, speaking for myself, maybe this doesn't make me a very hard-nosed journalist, but I get to like them. Mm. <laughs> mm. You know, I, I interviewed each of those candidates for more than an hour. And, um, I mean, it was the ultimate in lazy journalism because I couldn't be bothered going out and my wife had the car. So um, I said, well, why don't you guys all come around and canvas me in my house? Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> sort of line them, line them up one after the other, put on some biscuits and cup of tea and um, away we went. But um, um, the spending time with them, uh, I, I, I do think it's so important to actually listen to people's arguments Rather than um, rather than making assumptions about what we expect them to be, you know, how we mm. expect them to behave, what decisions that we expect them to make because of the stereotype, because of the little the little square boxes we've put them in. Mm. So thank you, thank you, Tim, for doing that. Oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, the the two of them, the two uh, two, two leading uh, candidates, um, they um, look. I, I I think the I think the key thing to uh, to say is both of them will want the community to think that this is a very close mm. race between them. Um, personally, I don't know if I should be saying this as my punchline at the end, but I'm, I feel that Greg Fleming from National probably is the front runner. Um, I think, um, despite some uh, some analytics I've seen on uh, from yeah. um, uh, from number crunches on Twitter, I, I think he should take this electorate uh, this electorate off Priyanka. Um, but um, they will be very anxious to tell their supporters to get the hell out and vote if they haven't already, um, because it could yet be close. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it is interesting, right? As a bellwether seat, it kind of you know swings around. It does feel like things are leaning more national's way, and I think, as you say, um, Greg probably has the edge uh, heading into this one. Um, actually, just on this sort of topic, I was at uh, the Prime Minister's media stand up in Onihanga over the weekend. Um, and I asked him specifically about Priyanka, and I'll play you uh, the short clip of what he said. You're here in Mongakeke, which is a classic bellwether seat. When you're doing your walk up on Ehanga Mall uh, in a few minutes, what will you be telling people that are asking who they should give their uh, local MP vote to? I'll be telling them to vote for Priyanka Radhakrishnan, who's been an outstanding advocate for the local community here, but has also been an incredibly important and valuable member of the Cabinet team uh, over the last about two years, I think, you've been in the Cabinet now. So this is in line with what Priyanka said on her podcast, right? She's been very, very busy, very active with her ministerial portfolios that are clearly really important to her, things like diversity, inclusion, and ethnic communities. But some criticism that you hear about her, if you look at Facebook or um, you know, you talk to some people, um, and I think she justified this in her podcast a little bit, but they say that she isn't visible um, in the electorate. Um, do you think there is the sort of challenge of, bec- of when you, you know, become a cabinet 
MP or a cabinet minister um, to also represent your local community well? Yeah, I think that is a real challenge. Um, and maybe maybe that's a sacrifice that some people in our community are willing to make to you know donate some of our local MPs time to wider New Zealand community. I mean, you know, there is no MP representing ethnic communities, for instance. So maybe we can share Priyanka a little bit with the wider community. Um, I do believe that she's worked hard and effectively in some of her ministerial portfolios. I mean, my day job is not Monga Kia Kia reporter, though some might think no. so, but um, my day job is a national political um, uh, political and business journalist. Mm. Um, and I see a bit of the, what she's doing on a national um, uh, stage. I see um, the work, for instance, she did in setting up the uh, Ministry for Ethnic Peoples. And I've got a friend um, who worked in uh, in that Labour government who, who says that she worked extraordinarily hard to get funding for that ministry. Um, that, that it didn't come easy at all. Um, I'm, I'm told that uh, Jacinda Ardern really leaned on her quite heavily and relied on her support um, after March 15 in terms of um, um, having a human touch and engaging with communities um, in Christchurch and um, ethnic communities around New Zealand. Um, so she is doing, you know, she's been doing some hard yards by all accounts on the national stage. Um, but... I also hear what um, some of those critics are saying, because I know that, um, you know, I've, I've lived in this electorate for 13 years. I saw a lot of Sam Lotowinga out and about in the community, talking mm. with people. I felt like I got to know him and his family a little bit. And he too was a cabinet minister, remember? Mm, um, I right. saw a lot of yeah. Denise Lee. Um, and and um, and I think this whole whole community did. And they've, they recognise it because she nearly held on to the seat against the yeah, red wave close. of 2020. It was, uh, I mean, she won it on the night. Um, Priyanka only came back and won it on special votes some, you know, mm. a couple of weeks later. Um, perhaps I think that my response to some of those people who say we don't see her out there enough is, yes, she is doing ministerial work on the national stage. But also, um, for myself, I'd say... Maybe she's out there serving the needs of a constituency who is struggling a bit, little bit more than my family and I are, mm. and who actually need the help of a little, uh, a help of an electorate MP a little bit more than I do because, mm. you know, I've got my own platforms. I can make my voice heard all by myself. Yeah. Um, not everyone has that advantage. Um, so maybe she's out there fighting for those people who struggle a little bit more. Um, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. on the. Um, Double-edged sword um, for Priyanka. She she told me that one of her strengths as an MP was that she could pick up the phone. As a government MP, she could pick up the phone and talk to any other minister about her community's needs. That's a problem for her because it's an omission, in my view, that she won't be so effective as a local representative if she's returned as an opposition MP. Yeah, it's challenging, isn't it? When you yeah, because I think when I asked her, you know, why why people should vote for her, she did say, you know, she's a she's she's in government, she's a, a cabinet minister, but of course. That may not be the case <laughs> next week. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And and also you sort of mentioned this with Denise Lee. How valuable do you think incumbency is in a seat like Mangakeke? Like that that gives a bit of a platform and a bit of exposure, right? You are a known sort of name, a known entity. Yeah, and it gives you a structural advantage. I mean, she, you know, she's had an um, as at first as a list MP and then as a, um, a an electorate MP, she's had an office here for six years. Um, um, so she's you know she's been paid to get out and about in the community and, um, you know, go and meet people and go to school prize givings and um, cut ribbons and whatnot. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's been part of her job. Um, it, whereas you look at those other candidates, um, um, uh, all the other candidates who are coming from the outside um, and they have to do it on their own time or fit it around day jobs. And look, I do want to put a, uh, take this opportunity to make a real shout out to those small party candidates. Um, I'm talking about Margot from ACT, um, I'm talking about Sapna from the Greens. I'm even talking about um, Eric Chua um, mm. from Rock uh, Rock the Vote. Um, yep. Because there's nothing in it for these guys, really. Um, they, 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 they won't be elected to Parliament. They're not even asking for the electorate vote on the most part. Um, they're... Um, they're having to sacrifice their time and their day day jobs and probably a lot of money um, to go out there and raise awareness about you know engagement in the community and um, important issues that we should be talking about. And I think we should be really grateful for those guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I, just back to what you said, I think I enjoyed talking to every single one of them because you can see why they're doing this, and it's great that they are. You know, we need people that are going to step up and you know yep. and and 
and use the democracy that we have in this country. Um, I, I do want to ask you a little bit more about them um, in just a minute. But before that, I'll, I just have a couple of questions about Greg Fleming. Um, you know, uh, obviously, uh, he ran into uh, some trouble with his comments from sort of 20 years ago uh, when he compared say, same-sex civil unions to um, incestuous and polygamous relationships. I know uh, he said on this podcast that he wouldn't make those comments now, and he's changed. And he told you in your interview that he sort of changed his his views on those uh, as well. And yet, he is a deeply religious person. He goes to church every week. Do you get the feeling that he has changed his view on this, or or do you think he's sort of saying what he needs to say? Um, because of the National Party's position? Yeah, um, some people will think I'm a patsy, um, uh, that I'm a sucker for um, a bit of spin. But I talked to him for, in two interviews actually, um, for a total of an hour and 20. um, And much of that conversation was about uh, personal religious conviction and mm-hmm. um, some of the um, harder line views that might have gone with it um, around sexuality, around the, uh, the role of women, around gender. Um, and, you know, this is close to a lot of us in our community, a lot of us in our, uh, in our groups of friends and a lot of us in our families. Um, so I was pretty motivated to ask some tough questions. And... I came away with the belief that this is someone whose views have changed, in my view, matured um, over the course of 20 years. Um, and, you know, I asked him, I said, if you're, if he's got four kids, you know, if one of your sons or your daughter comes home with a same-sex partner says, hey, Dad, I'd like you to meet Joe and um, we're going to get married. <laughs> You'd probably say, well, you could have given me a little bit more warning, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but he said, yeah, 100%. I'll be there for them. Um, um, and, you know, um, uh, the Jesus Christ I believe in um, taught about love and tolerance. Um, I'd be there for them. I would support them 100%. And, yes, I would go to their wedding, though. They wouldn't be able to get married in his church because his church doesn't um, um, celebrate, um, doesn't legitimize same-sex marriages. Um, mm. So, you know, we, we have to have to accept that his personal religious belief is that he doesn't believe in same-sex marriages, but he applies it only to himself. Mm. So he can't be in a same-sex marriage. Right. But mm. he says, I have no right to impose that on anyone else. Um, and indeed, uh, marriage, um, yeah, he's moved away from marriage as a church institution at all. He, th- he thinks it should be a civil institution yeah. um, and um, that the state has no place in telling us who we can love, who we can marry. Yeah. It's worth noting, too, that he was the subject of a recent Tova O'Brien uh, podcast where she called him up to talk about his involvement in GH Aotearoa, uh, which is a Christian camp that he founded. And he was reluctant to say anything except point um, point, point here in the direction of uh, your interview. And I, I don't think I don't think anyone would think that you're a patsy whatsoever. I, I wonder if I'm... You know, do you I, think I, I always second guess myself. <laughs> do, you, do you think he, he might have been advised to just stop talking about this topic altogether? Yeah, it, it certainly felt like it, didn't it? Um, I think it went. I was surprised how candid and at what length he talked to me. Um, and I do wonder if I'm, some of the National Party uh, said, mate, you've got to stop thinking out loud to journalists. <laughs> you, you've got to stop uh, sort of working through what you think on a, on a live recording with a journalist. Um, you, you need to stick to your message. And, um, and when you've said your message, shut up. Because um, that's certainly what he did with um, uh, Tova, and I thought that was a real pity. Um, you know, as flattering as it was to have my interview <laughs> re- referred to, yeah. actually, he does need to answer those questions. He's running for public office. Um, he needs to answer those questions, not just to me, but to Tova O'Brien, and frankly, to every journalist who asks him. Yeah, anyone that asks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do get the sense that he loves he loves having a chat, but just seems like not in that particular instance. Um, <laughs> uh, I've seen I've seen on his social media he's been hanging around. Um, Royal Oak Pack and Save a lot. It seems to be a favourite sort of haunt of his to hand out his flyers. Do you do you get the sense that he's enjoying the campaign process? Uh, well, I think he said to you and he said to me that he's pretty <laughs> over it now. Well, he I said, mean, I think he said, yeah. I, I, I touched base with him today and he said, since I last talked to you a week or two ago, I've knocked on another 2,000 doors and uh, I'm just, just hanging out for E-Day. Um, and he said, and I think most of the people I'm talking to are as well. Um, yeah. You know, 
this has been a very long election campaign for him. It's been a very long election campaign for all of us. Um, And frankly, we we are so over it, aren't we? Yeah. We really are. I mean, you and I were political junkies, but by gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Who would be a politician? Um, All right. So then we've got the Greens and the ACT uh, candidates, right? As you said, they're not really in it for, you know, to be elected as the local MP, but they're in it to fight for as much of that party vote as they can get. Um, But I think it's worth talking about them um, a little. So uh, firstly, Sapna, she's also been in the news recently um, on the, started off in the, on the Tova podcast. Um, Tova O'Brien had the Green Party. Tova keeps showing me up. Tova's making me look like the softest journalist out there. She, I, I do these nice interviews with people and then she she digs all the dirt on them. Yeah, well, that's Tova, right? Tova's <laughs> but, but fantastic. She, I she, love had, um, she had James Shaw on there, uh, had pretty wide-ranging conversation. But then, of course, uh, Sapna, and, uh, Sapna came up. Um, and I'll play a short clip from that. Your Maunga Keke candidate, Sapna Samant, has often tweeted that white people are stupid and can be fooled easily. Is that the kind of language you expect from your candidates? I couldn't comment on it without having seen that myself, um, but if what you're saying is correct, then no. I can show you the tweets. She says white people are stupid. She also has called the MP for Maunga Keke and Labour Minister, Priyanka Radhakrishnan, fucking useless, incompetent and a child. I didn't know that, so I'll have to follow that up. So uh, she said... Uh, that and asked after after that part of the conversation, she asked James Shaw whether Sapna seems like a good fit for the Green Party, and James said, uh, "From what you're saying, does not sound like it." I should also also mention that following our podcast with with Sapna, when that went live, we received a complaint asking that we take down the podcast because of Sapna's critical views on particular Hindu groups. Um, but that said, I've also had messages from others in the Indian community that are pleased to hear the podcast because they think it sort of shows views that they disagree with. Um, so, you know, as we said, Sutton is there to drum up support for that Green Party vote. Uh, but what do you think it does for the Green Party credibility when you've got a candidate out there saying things that are outside of the party line? I think you could hear the pain in James Shaw's voice in that clip, couldn't you? Um, the, you know, that, that's not great for them. Um, the... It didn't get. I had a look today. It didn't get a great deal of media attention beyond Tova's interview. Mm. Um, so I don't think it will have done them a lot of harm. I do think um, I've heard people try and put um, Sapna Summit's comments into a wider context, uh, yeah. and I thought that was a struggle. Um, however much context you put around those comments, they're pretty brutal. They are racist, and um, the I thought it's perhaps a timely reminder to all of us uh, who are Pakia um, that it's pretty damn uncomfortable being the subject of racism, mm. um, and maybe a reminder too of of the experience of people who regularly um, suffer vitriol and abuse every day, every week because of their race. Um, it's probably a wake up call for all of us, isn't it? Certainly a wake wake up call for the Greens and for Sapna Samant, and um, um, I don't think we'll see her back on their candidates list again next election. No, yeah, I think that's probably a fair a fair assumption. Um, and what what about the ACT candidate Margot? She um, she seemed, from our perspective um, at Onihanga FM, she seemed to have been a a bit of a last minute um, ring in when we first reached out to the ACT party. I think it was Felix Paul. Um, standing, uh, or was listed down as being the Mangakiki candidate, who I think stood in Mangakiki last election, and then at the last minute he was shifted into Central Auckland, um, and then uh, to Margo fill another gap. Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's um, been it's been kind of musical chairs for the act parties. One one candidate after another falls out, and they juggle them around to try and um, fill the spaces. Yeah, they've had they've had yeah. I mean, yeah, they've had their fair share of uh, challenges. Um, but but how do you think she's done? Look, you're one up on me on this one, Tim, because you've interviewed her and I haven't. Um, um, she told me she'd be available for an uh, to come round and um, and knock on my door and have a cup of tea and um, put her case um, for, for election and then she checked in with the party and they and came back to me and suddenly her schedule had filled up. Um, so mm. I don't know, maybe I didn't, um, uh, maybe I've blotted my copy book somewhere with that. But um, the I, I listened to your interview with her. I thought she was um, she was compelling. She had a very clear vision of what she stood for and what the ACT Party stood uh, stood for. Um, I thought she was likeable. Um, and I talked to the other candidates who obviously aren't necessarily motivated to be her cheerleaders, 
and they all said she's got a really good grasp of the policy issues. So and that's mm. pretty impressive for someone who's come in pretty late into the into the campaign. What I am concerned about, um, and you know, this is in large part a reflection of the party she's standing for, but is the focus on crime. Um, I think she's amplifying fear of crime. Um, I've I've done a lot of work on um, political and media treatment of criminal justice and mm. reporting of criminal justice. Um, in fact, I read a 70,000-word research report for the Ministry of Justice on this a few years ago, which got sure. swallowed up by um, uh, by COVID and never saw the light of day. <laughs> um, but um, the I really worry about election season, knee-jerk policy-making and scaremongering that we regularly see around elections. It was ACT who brought in the um, three-strikes law um, a, a few elections ago, which yep. was a crap law. It really was. It, um, it achieved absolutely nothing. Labour rightly got rid of it um, a, a couple of years ago. Um, it, it did not stop people offending. And in fact, it actually lessened the time that serious offenders um, spent behind bars because mm. um, because judges would look, it would look when they got to their third strike and say, well, I cannot in good conscience send them to prison for life for their third strike, which happens to be shoplifting or whatever. Um, yep. So I'm just going to acquit them and send them home. Um, um, so it's a disastrous piece of lawmaking. Act wants to bring this back again. Um, and that, that's the kind of policy that Margot has to speak for. I think that's really problematic. And I think that's really problematic in our community because for too long in this community, and, um, you know, I'm sorry, Anahanga, but I'm not running for election, so I don't have to make friends. <laughs> um I see Facebook groups, neighbourly groups, mm. um, in which um, fear of crime is constantly ramped up. I see Facebook groups in which people uh, people shoot photos of brown people who are unshaven yep. in hoodies walking down their street yep. and saying, this looks suspicious. You know what? I walk down the street unshaven in a hoodie. No one takes photos of me because I'm white. Mm. Um Sorry, am I starting to sound like something to someone? No. Um, but, um, um, uh, so it does upset me that um, uh, that uh, there is so much scaremongering and a lot of it's racist scaremongering around crime. I'm not accusing Margot of this, but I am accusing our community of this sometimes. Mm. And um, the it's, it's harmful, and it's not just harmful for the people who are wrongly um, implicated or accused of, uh, of crime in the community, but it's actually harmful for all of us. Um, you know, we've, we've got, you know, vulnerable elderly people who, yes, um, stand a small risk of being a victim of crime and the trauma that that entails, but probably stand a higher risk of, um, uh, of being paralyzed by the fear mm-hmm. of crime, mm-hmm. um, which, which will also be harmful uh, to them. I'm not going to say it's going to be more harmful than being a victim of crime, but these are both bad things, and we need to put um, the actual reality, the actual instance of crime in perspective. And I'm not sure that this election is doing that. Yeah, it's a good point. And and I, I mean, I see what the same thing. I, I'm actually also a member of the Ellerslie um, Facebook group, and I, th- I think it was the Ellerslie group last week. There was this terrible post from someone that had taken a photo of of a Pacifica woman and said, this person just knocked on my door and looked very suspicious. And then if you looked at the comments later on, sort of further down, someone said, oh, that's, it's actually my family member who was looking for my house, which is actually next to your house. So, mm. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous that, that these kinds of things are being shared, but yeah, back to, to your point, I think that, um, I mean, yeah, Margot has, has got the, um, the act policies down, right? She's, she, she, she was, she was able to quite clearly, articulate them and she was actually i found it quite interesting as well because she wasn't super keen to be on the podcast yet to sort of check it run it by the act uh team and then um sort of said she was she's quite you know busy with her day job as you know as an engineer and so she could only spare a very very short amount of time for the interview um as it kind of played out we ended up having more time once the conversation started going but she was um she was quite cautious of it i think but but actually at the um saint peter's debate she came up to josh the producer and said that she really um, actually, it was her first interview, and she sort of felt like it went okay. So, mm. um, yeah. Um, I also think it's quite interesting that everyone we spoke to, uh, except for Priyanka, lives outside of uh, the electorate. Do you think that matters? Um, well, when John Key was prime minister, I remember after maybe the second time he won, I was interviewing him. And it might have been when he was running for prime minister the second time around. And I said, so you live in Parnell, you're the MP for Helensville. 
when are you going to move into your electorate? <laughs> he said, straight as a bat, without blinking, I'm not going to. You know, um, and the people of Helensville never felt the least bit poorly represented by John Key. Yeah. I think they were very happy with John Key's representation from what I can pick up. Um, so I guess that shows that you don't have to live in the electorate. Well, Chris Luxon doesn't live in Botany, right? <laughs> no, he lives just outside. And um, as you know, he's in Epsom or something, isn't he? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, similarly, um, Greg Fleming, is, he tells me he's five doors up the road into the um, Epsom electorate. He's yeah. just just outside um, the boundary of yeah. Mangakeke. You know, others, Eric Chewers in the North Shore, um, the New Zealand First candidates, some... Um, um, uh, somewhere out East Tamaki. Um, the I think you're, you're no better than me, but I think Margot might be in West Auckland. Um, so so yeah, they are dotted, dotted around. Um, I think in part that's a recognition that the smaller parties, you know, you can't <laughs> you, you, you can't um, pick and choose who's going to be no. your candidate that much when when you're going to ask so much of them, as I said earlier, yeah. um, and with so little personal return for them. Um, I am sure that if I was elected the candidate for Mongakiki, if I was Greg Fleming and I was elected the candidate for Mongakiki, I would seriously consider moving into the electorate. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, fair. Maybe, maybe that's a good bit of a uh, good bit of advice for him <laughs> uh, if he's listening to this. Um, the, talking of the electorate, though, Mongakiki is a tricky um, tricky electorate to campaign in, right? Because it's made up of such disparate communities. Only Hunger itself is incredibly multicultural, but then you've got places like Mount Wellington, Ellerslie, Royal Oak, One Tree Hill, and parts of Green Lane. Um, do you think when you're when you're trying to represent such a, a wide range of people, that does that make it a more difficult uh, proposition for these candidates compared to other electorates? I'm sure it does. And, and early in the campaign, somebody... Um, a, a family member of mine looked at um, Greg Fleming's campaign video and said, oh, it's, it's all in Ellerslie. He's all hanging out in these swanky cafes and stores in Ellerslie. Um, he's, I don't see him in own hunger at all in his campaign video. Um, so, you know, I guess that is the challenge that they all face in trying to bring together diverse and disparate communities. Uh, but by gosh, this, you know, it's such, it's such an attribute of our community, our diversity. Um, that's probably why most of us live here, and I'm sure that's why these MPs want to be here. The, you know, I was looking, and since the Mongakiki electorate was founded in 1996, when MMP came in, um, all of our uh, MPs, all five of the MPs we've elected, um, have been women or from um, um, Pacifica groups, or mm. um, in Priyanka's case, from uh, uh, another immigrant minority. Mm. Um, so, you know, we've we've always tried to elect representatives that um, that represent different faces of our community. Um, and I think all of them have made an honest effort. Um, well, I don't go back quite to the first ones, but um, yeah. um, for, I can speak from Mark Goshi onwards. I think all of them have made a really honest effort um, to bring together um, all the different groups in our communities. And I really liked listening to what um, Priyanka, you know, without taking sides, I really liked um, Priyanka's focus in her interview with you where she talked about bringing together communities because, mm. you know, maybe it's a bit naff, maybe it's a bit simplistic. You know, I'd like to see ex exact precisely how she's going to do that. But by gosh, it's a good objective uh, at a time when when New Zealand and our communities can feel quite polarised, um, yeah. you know, to at least be setting out to say, hey, this is what we want to do. We want to, we want to get on a little bit better. We want to um, get to know each other. We want to listen to each other. We want to um, we want to have a, a election debates and talk to each other and um, and go on to McCready's podcast. <laughs> yeah, of course, that's the the number one reason. Yeah, I think Pranko um, probably did the best in terms of selling a vision for what she wants the um, you know Mongakika to look like in the future. I, I liked her answer to that. Um, one of the other questions that I asked each of the candidates is what their sort of top issues that you know that they're hearing about in the community and what sort of policies they have um to address most of those i think it's crime um, crime it, crime yes yeah, yeah well i mean margot's case crime was definitely number one for most of the other candidates they talked about cost of living um as the first um as the first issue but do you think uh when they talk through their policies do you think these um these candidates are really thinking about the electorate when i'm talking you know i'm talking to them on a local podcast or do you think they're just, um, you know, sticking to their core party policies? Yeah, I, I, I think the latter. I listened um, to Priyanka in particular on cost of living, and she was very much um, 
preaching from the um, Labour Party song sheet, song sheet on that one. Do you preach from a song sheet? You sing from a song sheet, don't you? Sing, yeah. um, the, um, <laughs> she, um, uh, it, it, it sounded like the same message that I would have expected to hear from any Labour candidate and any electorate in the country. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that she had identified a specific need or a specific um, priority around addressing cost of living um, in this electorate. But to be fair, you know, it is a pretty nationwide issue. It's um, I struggle to think of a respect in which um, in this electorate might be particularly distinctly um, mm. affected by cost of living in a way that others aren't. Yeah, it is interesting, though, um, that I, I don't think the interviews, um, you know, no one really talked, Pranker did a little but no one really talked a lot about climate. And I'm going to talk to your daughter about this in, in just a few minutes. But climate wasn't a big a big topic. I think it's been pushed down the the list of priorities, right? In terms in in terms of what people want to be talking about right here and now, or what some people, I suppose, want to be talking about. Yeah, and again, you see that reflecting the national um, election campaign. Um, the mm. um, you know, I think you'd have to say tragically, um, climate change has fallen from one of the top priorities in um, in New Zealand's long term New Zealanders' long term thinking. You know, as we came out of COVID. Uh, yeah. As we went into COVID, as we came out of COVID, into something that um, that if you look at the um, the surveys of top election issues, isn't even making top five, isn't even making top ten in some cases. Um, people don't want to think about it. Um, it's too hard, yeah. um, and it stuffs around with people's brains, and they'd rather rather look at issues that they think politicians can address. And um, I don't think they think that politicians have any answers for climate change. Yeah, well, apparently they don't. Um, but yeah, it, it is surprising, especially after the Auckland anniversary floods and Cyclone Gabriel, right? When that was such a big prominent issue. Yeah. Um, and people were thinking about the climate at that point, but it shows how quickly people move on to other things, right? And we all said it at the time, didn't we? We all said, we all said well, look, everyone's motivated now. How long is it going to last? And sure enough, <laughs> about, it didn't about six last. Months, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, I was, my second to last question to you was going to be, which way do you think this is going to go? But I think we've already covered that off. So before we do wrap up, I've got one final question for you. You probably know what it is. Um, what is your favorite thing about Onihanga and why do you love it? I thought you were going to ask me my favorite chocolate bar. It seemed like everybody <laughs> candidate asked it. <laughs> not until you were a candidate. <laughs> dark, Whitaker's dark carrot, salted caramel. It's fantastic. <laughs> but my family disagrees with me on this. Um, look, uh, what do I love about Onihanga? And because I'm... Um, um, because I'm not running for election, as I said earlier, I don't have to be nice. I don't have to um, um, make friends. So I could, you know, if I was running for election, I'd say I love walking with a dog or with the kids around um, around uh, Onhanga Bay and um, meeting other people that I know down there and um, seeing um, seeing how much um, the community has rebuilt down there. Um, because I'm not running for election, I'm going to tell you what I don't like about Onhanga, and I do want to come back to this um, uh, social media-based um, um, gossiping and amplification of some quite negative stereotyping. And I think in a community that is so diverse where we have so, so much opportunity to get to know our friends and neighbours and learn more about them and their cultures and their backgrounds, um, it saddens me to see us instead sinking into our echo chambers of social media and um, bagging them from a distance without meeting them. Mm, it's a bloody Sorry, good that's a negative way to end, eh? <laughs> negative way to... Sadly, I think the good people that listen to this podcast are not those people um, <laughs> that, are, that, are, that are putting those things onto Facebook, but it's a, good, it's a very good point, and I agree with you totally. Um, hey, thanks so much for your time. Um, it's been really good to chat with you, especially because of so your specialist knowledge that you have um, and a lot of good insights on the, on the candidates. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tim. I really appreciated your time. So Cleo, uh, welcome along to the podcast. Do you want to maybe just start by introducing yourself? Hi, I'm Cleo Milne. Uh, I, I'm year nine in Onehunga High School, um, and I'm really interested about how I can affect this country's future, whether that awesome. be by voting or yeah. actually doing something. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's good to it's good to chat to you. And um, Jonathan was telling me that you went along to the Onihanga Community House. Uh, the there was an immigration policy announcement from the Prime Minister Chris Hipkins, um, and because it was the school holidays, you also sat in on most of his interviews for his story that he wrote on Monga Kiki, right? Yeah. Yeah. How did you find that? What was it like uh, hearing from these candidates? It was really interesting. Um, I felt like they mostly had very similar goals. Obviously, um, the Green MP was more focused on the environment. Um, mm-hmm. But apart from that, there seemed to be like a lot of parallels you could draw between um, Greg Fleming's statements and Priyanka Radhakrishnan's statements. Yep. And did you feel like, did you get the impression then that they're all kind of in it for the right reason? They all want to make a, a good change to the community? Yeah, I think they're all very dedicated and out in the community. Um, Priyanka's obviously been here um, the longest as an MP. Um, and I think she's done some great work, um, especially in her, like, in terms of government portfolios um, and holding them. And uh, I think recently, what ministry was just set up, Dad, by Priyanka? The Ministry of Ethnic Diversity, uh, sorry, of Ethnic Peoples. The Ministry of Ethnic Peoples. Um, mm. So that was interesting. Um, I hadn't heard much about what Greg was doing. Um he he seemed like a nice guy. He was fixing signs and um, door knocking and whatnot. But um, story of, story of everyone's life at the moment. That's what everyone's out there doing, <laughs> That's the right? Sorry. That's the question you asked. Oh yes. Um, and I actually asked um, Priyanka and Greg the same question. Yep. Um, which was. How does campaigning fit into this climate crisis that we're we've got going on right now? Like obviously, Great question. Um, plane trips and signs. There's mm. there's a lot of waste, and I was wondering if it could just be handled by um, the local MPs selling their party's policies in their electorates rather than the leader flying out to every single electorate Mm -hmm. and I got some interesting answers so Priyanka talked a lot about how it's very important in terms of where the cameras are for the leader of the party to be in that particular electorate because Mm. the media doesn't follow her around it follows um Chris Hipkins around um and she said that um, if one party stopped doing that and just had their um, local MPs campaigning, then that would put them at a disadvantage to the others, mm-hmm. which was essentially like, we're not going to change because nobody else is changing. Um, which I found, I I guess I didn't quite, that statement didn't quite resonate with me. Um, I, I think leaders should be focusing on the right thing to do. And obviously they want to get into parliament. That's why they're campaigning so they can do more good things. It's interesting. I, I, I guess politics kind of gets in the way of that, right? Because they, you know, they should be doing the right thing, but they also, you know, want to make sure they... Do what do everything they can to to win in politics. It's almost as if they're going. We can't do the right thing, because that means we won't be able to do the right thing um, yeah. later on. Yeah, I I heard a um an interesting interview with um James Shaw, the uh, mm-hmm. the Green Party co leader, and he was asked, you know, why does the Green Party receive donations for advertising? Uh, because, you know, the Green Party is really critical that big parties like, or, you know, parties like National and ACT um, get so much money from, you know, big business to advertise. 
But James Shaw said the same thing as what you've just said. He said, you know, what are we supposed to do? Just not receive any money at all and then, you know, not be heard. Um, so I think that is a challenge that they, you know, he wants to see no, none of that for any party. Um, but until that happens, he feels like he has to still receive donations for, for sort of campaigning, I guess. Yeah, that's tough. Um, do you think the candidates are thinking enough about the climate, though? Um, I think there are obviously like the people you'd expect to be thinking about the climate are thinking about the climate, which is Green Party candidates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody's kind of thinking about the climate. It's like this ever-present dread that's kind of on everybody's mind. Um, but in terms of priorities, um, Priyanka is focusing a lot on like the, the diversity and getting uh, um, of Onehunga and getting like their votes and making changes um, for people whose voices maybe aren't heard um, yeah. as much as like like the white um, middle class people that um, tend to be most represented in politics. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Greg, I, I didn't get a very good sense of what he was about. Like, um, he said that signs were, a, uh, were the bane of his existence um, and has committed to, or said he's committed to um, repairing them. Uh, if they're salvageable rather than replacing them. Um, but apart from that, maybe I just didn't hear enough of the interview. Um, yeah. Interest, interesting. Yeah, interesting take. Um, the, you said you were in year nine yep. at school, right? Because it seems like you're pretty switched on and you kind of know what's, what's happening in politics. Do you think that that's true for your, you know, your peers at school? Some of my friends don't know who Chris, Christopher Luxon is. You know, like, there are some people who are kind of, I guess, reading the news and staying up to date with current events, because that's how I get most of my understanding of politics, and it helps to have a journalist for a dad. Um, yeah. um So there's probably, like, some advantage I have there. Mm. Um but I don't get the sense that a lot of my class knows or particularly cares about politics just because, like, it concerns them, right? Like, it concerns them and their families and everybody in Aotearoa, but they don't really have a say in it. Say in it. Um, so I guess it's just schoolwork takes up the forefront of their minds and um, the rest is kind of just, like, things they don't need to know yet yeah hey i think that's true for some adults as well so (laughs) i don't think i don't think they're alone there um okay well to finish off i've just got three quick fire questions for you okay yep first one is do you think you know you've kind of been exposed a little bit to politics um already do you think you would ever enter politics no (laughs) (laughs) that was a that was a very quick answer (laughs) um dad was talking uh to priyanka about how politics can be a nasty place Mm. um and he was talking to all the candidates as well he said to um greg um whose daughter is a journalism uh journalist she's a journalist journalist okay cool um journalist and he sort of said could you in good conscience tell her to like absolutely go pursue a career in politics with this current Mm. um i guess the internet's made everything a lot more anonymous and there has been a lot more targeting of politicians um and their personalities not just their policies um of late and you saw it with jacinda like the amount of hate she got was unreal like mm. it was just like on the radio um it was 
on articles that mentioned her, um, it was just sort of ever present. And I don't think anybody should have to deal with that. But I think when you're a politician, you kind of sign up to have like you have you're sort of in the public eye. Yeah. And I don't want I don't want that to happen to me. So. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? But um. But no, I respect respect that, and I yeah, I think you're you're very adamant, and your quick response to that kind of says quite a lot. Um, second question: Do you think the voting age should be lowered to sixteen? There's been a bit of debate around this. What's your what's your thinking on that? Um, eighteen's kind of the age where we let people do a lot of things. Um, so in one way, it's kind of like if we don't trust them to do thing do other things before 18 why should we trust them to vote mm. but that being said even 18 like the brains developed at 25 um so 18 is sort of like a somewhat um arbitrary, arbitrary uh place to put like this cap yep. um but i feel like a lot of young people increasingly do care about um politics and like Mm. not at this age um i wouldn't think um based on things that i've had but as they grow up like 15 16 they're thinking a lot about the outside world with about their careers um when they graduate from high school or uni or whatever they choose to do in life and i think they do form opinions and I think it would be great to see those heard, hear those in some yeah, way. Yeah, no, no, that's, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and final question, and actually you're our final guest on this season of this oh, podcast. Wonderful. So it's quite. So this is the final question on the final season, and it's a question that I ask every guest, um, mm-hmm. so you can answer it as well. What is your favorite thing about Onihanga, and why do you love it? I think it's just so special the amount of things you can do here because I do a lot of activities just around Onehanga. I go to a D&D club um, in Royal Oak. Um, oh, sorry, what's that? A D- D&D Dungeons and Dragons. It's like Dungeons a tabletop. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Yeah. Um, uh, the, there are like so much of my childhood um, – was spent at cafes and um, with my mum and just biking around. Well, I wasn't biking. I was on the back of her bike. Um, I was, this is before school, but it's just such a jam-packed area where, especially Onehanga Mall, it feels like you can do anything. Um, Mm. I used to frequent the $2 shop for any gift I was about to give. Um, I, as I said, there's D&D and Royal Oak, um, Royal Oak Mall. Yep. Um, we shop in Royal Oak. It's just got, and it's got such like a diversity of things that you can do, beaches, parks, um, that it feels like if you're going to be raised in just one place, Onihanga is the place to do it. Nice. I think you might have actually given the best answer to that question out of anybody that I've asked. So Wonderful. that's fantastic. Hey, look, thanks so much for, for for joining me for a few minutes on the podcast. It's been really great to talk to you because I think, you know, you're going to be the future of the um, of the of the electorate. Right. So thanks so much Thank for you. having a chat. Uh, that's been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's it. The last podcast wrapped up ahead of the election. In less than a week, we will hopefully know the makeup of the next government and who will be representing Mongakeke for the next three years. We hope this has helped you to make a decision on who to vote for. Just please don't forget to vote. And if anyone tells you they don't know who to vote for, you know which direction to point them in this podcast. Thanks once more to my producer, Josh Couch, for all of his hard work to make this series possible. Thanks to all of our guests and our candidates. And finally, thank you to you for listening. We will be back to speak to the winner of the election for Mangakeke when things settle down. But for now, I'm Tim McCready and this has been Too Much Talk. <laughs> <laughs>